0: You would turn with me to the book of First Peter. You'll find it in the New Testament, towards the end of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, uh, you can use the the Bible that's there in the chair. It should be on page one thousand and fifteen. Our passage this morning is First Peter three, verses one through seven. And we've been studying this letter this spring and. Peter begins this letter by telling us that the Christian, the person who is trusting and resting in Christ alone, has a living hope. He has been born again. He has a a new identity. She has a, a new identity and a new purpose. Jesus, having been raised from the dead, also brings along with him everyone else who trusts in him. And so the question that now Peter begins to answer is, how do we live that new identity out? How, how do we live that new purpose in this world? What does it look like to, be, to have a living hope in this society, in this culture, in this world? Uh, look real quickly for me uh, at chapter 2, verse 9. Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's our new identity. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our new purpose. But the question we want to answer is, how? How do we do that? What does that look like? As my friend Jason says, Why does that matter on a Tuesday afternoon? Uh, And that's what Peter, uh, that's what we started looking at last week uh, at the end of chapter two. Peter begins answering that question. We last week talked about what does it look like to be a living hope in society, particularly what is our posture towards the government? What is our posture towards authority over us, particularly unjust authority, authority that does not treat us as we deserve, but rather treats us harshly how should the christian respond to that because of his new identity his new life in christ and then today peter's going to tell us how to bring that living hope into our homes and so let's give our attention to god's word from first peter chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 he says likewise wives be subject to your own husbands So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. That word conduct has been repeated several times already in Peter's letter. It means your way of life. He goes on, verse 3 Do not let your adorning be external. And do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. And while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. And ask for his help. Father, we simply ask that you would take your word and that you would apply it to our hearts. I pray, God, that it would come with power. Transforming, renewing power. To my heart, to my ears, and to the hearts and ears of those that hear me. For your glory and our good. We pray it in Jesus' name, Amen. I realize how touchy a passage this might be. Nobody likes to have their marriage meddled with. Uh, so there's usually two ways uh, that we approach a passage like this, uh, and both ways yank it out of its out of its context. The the first way we can approach this is we just read it as kind of a marriage manual, right? That if uh, that this would be a good passage for doing some marriage counseling. Uh, and while Peter does give us some very good marriage principles, uh, that actually is not the context in which he gives it. Uh, and we'll talk more about that in just a second. Uh, the other approach that we take, particularly in our modern era, to a passage like this uh, is we read things like, Wives, be subject to your own husbands. And we say, Pff. see, and that's why the Bible is, is hopelessly out of date. Uh, a relic of a bygone paternalistic era when male chauvinism reigned. Uh, the, there, is, there is nothing. right. We're, this is, we're just going to have to chew up the meat and spit out the bones here. This is not relevant to us today because society is, is different now. Um, but actually, that too... Now, that approach also does not deal with the context in which Peter is writing. Uh, and so this morning, what I want to do uh, is first, I, I want us to understand Peter's world. We need to understand uh, the context into which Peter is writing. And then I want to look at, out of that, I want to look at words to wives and then words to husbands. Uh, so first, let's begin by trying to get an understanding of Peter's world, uh, Who and where, or I guess the proper grammatic thing would be to say to whom, is Peter writing? Uh, Where are these people? Uh, And this is the first century Roman Empire, it's the Greco Roman world. Uh, And in the first century Greco Roman world, a well ordered, stable home is seen as fundamental, uh, as a fundamental building block to a stable, well ordered society. Right, so in the in the first century world, the idea that you know what you do in the confine, in the confines of your own home is your business that would not have that would not have floated. Um, rather, uh, your neighbors had a vested interest in how you were doing, uh, because your home, if it was stable and well ordered, contributed to the order of society. That we flourished as a society when each family is doing what they are supposed to do. And actually, we could probably argue that 21st century America really isn't different. In fact, that's, a, that's almost kind of a universal principle, that, that a society is only as healthy as the families in it are healthy, right? And so the question is, what makes for a stable, well-ordered family? What makes for, uh, at least in the first century world, what made for a, a healthy home and a stable society, and I already mentioned this once, but in, in Peter's world, right uh, in the world to which he's writing, uh, right there was there was proper religious protocol to be followed. Uh, but then even within the home, you had a uh, you had a proper order of authority, and the head of the home was the husband. Is the husband uh, in the first century world? Uh, and then under him would be his wives. Uh, now Peter doesn't excuse me, his wife. Uh, polyga- polygamy was not common in the first century world. Okay. Adultery was, polygamy was not. All right. Um, and then slaves then would fall underneath uh, that. And so Peter actually has already addressed the slaves. Back in chapter 2, verse 18, he spoke to slaves, uh, and now he addresses wives. Uh, but, so let's just walk through each one of those roles. First, the lowest on the totem pole would have been slaves, right? Uh, they were the possession of their masters. Now, slavery in the first century world did, did not look like chattel slavery uh, that we practiced in um, the 17th, 18th, excuse me, 18th, 19th centuries. Um, that was a, there, There's some distinctions there that I won't go into all of. But still, uh, slaves in the ancient world were the property of their masters. Uh, and so they were never spoken to. Right, any instruction that they received came through their masters. Right, they were expected to follow suit with whatever their masters wanted them to do. Uh, so, any instruction to slaves came through through a slave came through his or her master. Wives were not the possession of their husbands; they did in fact have rights uh, where slaves did not. But still, they would have been expected to follow. Uh, the relationships and religion of their husbands. This is uh, Plutarch. A historian in the first century and second century writes this. He says, A wife should not acquire her own friends, but should make her husband's friends her own. The gods are the first and most significant friends. For this reason, it is proper for a wife to recognize only those gods whom her husband's excuse me whom keep going back to polygamy there for some reason whom her husband worships all right so let's let me let me try to bring that uh bring that to street level if a wife were to stop worshiping her husband's gods and start worshiping another god then that would be seen as a threat to the social order Right? That, would, that would create an imbalance. Right? Something. Uh, what, what that, we talked about shame and honor a couple of weeks ago. What that would do is it would bring shame on the husband because he did not keep his household under control. But also it would bring shame on the whole family because now they're, they're causing a rift in society. Right? They're not following the expected order. Uh, a wife is to worship the gods of her husband. Her friends are to be the friends of her husband. So for a woman to start worshiping another god and to develop relationships outside the home, say leaving the home to go meet with other people in worship, that would have made the neighborhood, the neighbors go, hold on a second. And remember, Peter is writing to people uh, who are being persecuted socially because their friends and neighbors are like, wait, 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 you guys... Who, who is this Jesus? You're refusing, you're refusing to worship the gods you used to worship, and you're worshiping and following this man, Jesus, whom you say was crucified and then rose again from the dead. Okay, you're, this, is a, this is a problem, and you need to be dealt with. And so the, Peter is uh, trying to say, uh, is trying to convince his readers and their neighbors that Christianity is not a threat to the social order. And so you can begin to see his angle here Uh, when he tells wives in chapter three, verse one, he says, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word. He's not talking to a Christian home with a Christian husband and a Christian wife. He's talking to women who are married to unbelieving men. This is what we would call a, a, you could call it a house divided, right? Right the wife is following Jesus and the husband is not that's the context right so this is not first and foremost about marriage counseling this is actually how is a believing wife supposed to live with an unbelieving husband and similarly his instruction to husbands because it would have it would have gone the it would have gone the same way for a husband to worship a different god than his wife that would have been very strange in the ancient world. And so they've been like, ah, I'm not sure about that guy. Right. And so for a husband, the, the pressure would have been to exert control or influence over his wife, a believing husband with an unbelieving wife. And Peter speaks into that situation. Right. So um, what is interesting about this is that Peter is not trying to destabilize the social order. He's not. Cultural reform is not Peter's goal. Peter is not saying to them, hey, we're going gonna to overthrow the Greco-Roman world. We're going we're to turn it all upside down. We're going to burn it to the ground, and we're going to build something new in its place. You'll notice he doesn't say, we looked at slaves last week, he doesn't say to slaves, hey, slavery is wrong, uh, overthrow your masters and assert your freedom. He doesn't do that. Now, in the 21st century, we would look at that and go, why doesn't he do that? Because slavery is wrong. It's wrong for one person to own another. So why doesn't, why doesn't Peter do that? We've got to be careful not to read 21st century values into 1st century culture. Okay? So what Peter does tell slaves to do is to submit to their masters out of reverence for Jesus. Right, so their so their relationship to Jesus dictates how they are to respond to their slave owners, how to, to their masters. And then, uh, notice also, he doesn't tell wives, right, uh, the the believing wives of unbelieving husbands, like, hey, if you can't set them straight, you better leave, you better get out, right? You you guys you guys aren't, don't don't worship the same God, so you need to leave. He doesn't do that. Rather, he says, no, you need to be, uh, you need to submit to your husband. You need to follow him, follow his leadership as far as you can. So Peter's not trying to uh, overturn the social order, but notice he does subvert it. He does subvert it in this way. In the ancient world, slaves were never talked to. Right? You didn't talk directly to a slave. You had to address anything to a slave. You had to go through his master. But what does Peter do? He talks directly to the slaves. He gives them a dignity and a value and a worth that they did not possess in their working relationship, but that they did possess before God. So he speaks directly to them, right? And then the same for, for wives. Again, you, you spoke to a wife through her husband. That was how the relationships worked. But what does Peter do? He speaks directly to wives. Again, so he's, he's subtly subverting the social order, Right? He's establishing kingdom order in its place. Now, why do you think in the 21st century our values have changed from the 1st century? Because of the gospel. Because, Because Peter didn't, because the early Christians didn't burn Rome to the ground and say, we're going to start something new. They began to change their homes. They began to change their working relationships. And over time, they transformed society. The reason we have the values we do today is because the gospel did its slow work in the lives of people over time, right? The early Christians were not insurrectionists. They were not anarchists, right? They lived in the social order as they had it. But they allowed the gospel to change the way they lived in that social order so that it eventually transformed the culture in which they were in and the culture we live in today. So, how does that play out? Uh, What does that that look like in the instructions that Peter gives? First, let's talk about the words he gives to wives. He begins by saying, likewise, in the same way. In the same way as what? What does that that mean? Well, we need to go back. Uh, He's connecting us to something he said earlier. And so, let's go back to... Chapter 2, verse 12. This is, the, this is really the beginning of everything that follows. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Okay, so Peter's commands to wives actually flow out of his commands to the whole church to live an honorable life, to do good uh, so that people will glorify God. And then the next command in verse 13 of chapter 2 is to be subject to every human institution. We talked about that last week, being subject to the government. So again, out of, out of reverence for the Lord, we submit to the government as far as we're able to. And then he goes into the home and he talks to slaves. And what does he say? Be subject to your masters with all respect. Verse 19, because you're mindful of God. So when Peter says likewise in chapter 3, he means with that same viewpoint in mind, that same consciousness of God. Because you fear God, because you want to honor God, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Be subject. What What does that mean? It means to follow the authority of your husband. It means that, again, Peter's not... Uh, Peter is not making the wife of equal authority with the husband. He is saying, no, there's an order in the home and the husband is the the head of that order. And so, wives, you need to submit, especially since we're talking about Christian, non-Christian wives, you need to submit as far as you are able to your husband. Because you because you worship different gods. Right. And because that puts you on a. Uh, unstable footing in society, you need to be careful with how you address your husband. right? You don't need to be disrespectful. You need to follow his lead. Not to worship his God. You continue to worship Jesus. But uh, you submit as far as you are able to do. Why? What does he say? So that even if... Some disobey the word, the, the, the word, it's where we get our word um, apathetic from. So even if they do not heed the word or are apathetic to the word, they may be one without a word. Peter is saying your submission to your husband isn't apologetic. It is, it is evangelism. The way that you live your life with Jesus before your unbelieving husband, the goal is that you would win him. That he would come to Christ because he says, oh, this is good. I want to worship Jesus just like my wife does. Now, again, you see how Peter's subverting the social order? That would have been totally unexpected, right? A wife was to worship the husband's God, not the other way around. But here Peter says, no, that may in fact happen. You may live before your unbelieving husband in such a way that he comes to worship your God. That's a beautiful thing. That's the goal. And he goes on. Uh, he talks about their respectful way of life, their conduct. He says, don't, don't be focused on the external things. Right? First century, 21st century, no different. We love the external. Right? We love focusing on hair and clothes and makeup. Um, in fact, it makes sense in Peter's context if a wife uh, were... Fixing up her external appearance and then leaving her home to go meet with people outside of her family. That would look really suspicious. Women did not do that in the first century. And so Peter's command makes sense. Like, Don't worry about that. Don't focus on your external appearance. Focus on your internal beauty. Focus on your life before God. Right. Let your verse four. let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. With the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Peter is saying, cultivate inner beauty, not outward beauty. Now that speaks to the 21st century. Ladies, you can, of course, now leave your home and go have friends outside of your home and uh, all, all of those things, right? Our, our society is very different. And yet, Peter's words still ring true. Don't focus all your attention on the external. On the outward beauty. Right. As Proverbs 31 says. That that beauty is fleeting and vain. Right. It's the inward beauty. Your life with God. That's what Peter says. Should be the focus. That's what Peter says. Will lead to conduct. That wins uh, your husband. And those around you. And then he uses the example of Sarah. uh, Obeying Abraham. Calling him Lord. Now. Not Lord in like the religious sense, but a respectful tone. That's what he's talking about. You may be familiar with Genesis and the story of Abraham and Sarah. I'm not exactly sure why Peter uses that as an example. Because um, you, you would you would not read the story of Abraham and Sarah and say, hmm, that's the ideal marriage, right? Um, so, but what Peter probably has in mind is the fact that when Abraham... Failing as he did, followed God's call, Sarah went with him. She submitted to Abraham's leadership and said, I have no idea why you are dragging us, dragging us out into the wilderness to Canaan to follow this God and, and bank all our hopes on him, but I'll go with you. That's what Peter has in mind, right? Did Abraham do that perfectly? Did he deserve Sarah's submission at every point? no. In fact, a couple of points. Sarah probably should have said, um, "Nope, we're not going to do that." Right? There are a couple of points when Abraham sold his wife, like gave his wife away, um, so that he could save his own skin, and God had to intervene and bring her back home. Right? So we don't we don't want to follow that example uh, in every step. But right, Sarah followed Abraham's lead. That's what Peter is saying. Wives, likewise. He says, and you are her children, verse 6, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, Peter is talking to women who would be in a difficult social position. They have rejected the gods of their husband, uh, and they are following this new god, Jesus, not only does that put them in a difficult position within society, that also puts them in a tough position in their home. And depending on the kind of man they are married to, um, that might even put them in a dangerous position. Is Peter saying that these women should submit to abuse? And I would say no. The answer to that is no. right? God is, God is never okay with wrongdoing. And it is wrong for a husband to abuse a wife physically, uh, emotionally, verbally, spiritually. I don't know what that would look like in the first century, how that, would, how that dynamic would be played out. But you cannot use these verses to justify abuse. And when we talk to husbands, that you'll see that really how that, how that comes out. But Peter does tell wives in that difficult position, he says, to not fear anything that is frightening. Fear. In other words, he's saying, fear the Lord, not the intimidation of your husband. You belong to the Lord, first and foremost, not to your husband. So fear the Lord, and don't be afraid of anything that is frightening, which sounds like a contradiction. But he's, but he's saying, your, your fear of the Lord should trump any fear you have of your husband's retaliation for you not following his gods. Okay? Now, what does that look like for husbands? Uh, does, does submission mean that the wife is the husband's doormat? And we'll see, like Peter, Peter doesn't, doesn't make the roles equal, right? We are, we are not an egalitarian church. We are a complementarian church, which means while men and women have the same dignity and value before God... We believe that they have different roles. There are different roles to play in the church. There are different roles to play in the home. And Peter Peter is with that, right? Because he tells wives to submit to their husbands. He acknowledges that husbands do have a leadership role. But does that mean that the wife is a doormat? Does that mean that she is just to put up with everything that he does? Well, look at what he says. To husbands. Again, he says, likewise, in the same way. Is he saying that husbands should submit to their wives in the same way that wives should submit to their husbands? No. But he is saying in the, same, in the same way, right? He's continuing that same thought from earlier. Because of your reverence for God, because you fear the Lord. Now he's talking to believing husbands. Because you fear the Lord, live with your wife in an understanding way. Literally, live according to knowledge. Peter doesn't necessarily specify what he means by that. But he does mean that husbands need to understand their wives. They need to understand their fears, their desires, their emotions. That, that husbands are not to run roughshod over their wives, but rather they are to be understanding and kind. Yes, men, we are to listen. Just listen. Right there. All right? Listen. You can listen. You don't have to fix. Just listen. Right? Live with your wives in an understanding way. In order, in fact, in order to really... Guys, I know we want to fix stuff. And we'll get there. But before we get there, you got to at least understand. Right? And so that's what Peter says. Live with your wives in an understanding way way. And then he says this, showing honor. Again, Peter speaks to the social reality of his day and he subverts it at the same time, showing honor to your wife. You are to honor her, not critique her, not especially Right. I, in fact, we could say this, and we did a couple of weeks ago, but to speak both to husbands and wives in the public realm, right? Uh, for a wife to submit to her husband means that you don't need to uh, denigrate and downgrade your husband, in, particularly in public view. If you have something that you need to address with your husband, you need to do that with your husband, not with your friends. Right. That's that's taking a shortcut. And it's not actually it's actually not a shortcut. It's, it's going the wrong direction because you're not accomplishing anything. Right. Uh, don't infanticize uh, your, your husband in public. Right. Don't treat him like a child. Don't emasculate your husband in public. Don't emasculate him at home either. Right. Respect him. Uh, but then for 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 husbands. Same thing. Right? Don't denigrate your wife, particularly before others. Right? If there's something that you really would desire your wife to change or to do differently, then you need to speak to her about that and not to your friends about that. Right? It begins there in the home. Live with your wives in an understanding way, honoring them, showing honor to your wives. And then he says this, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. You don't have to get upset about that. Peter's talking biologically, physically, right? Again, think about about the first century conduct. uh, Think about the first century context. Um, A man who is stronger than a woman, which is just about all men, I will quickly acknowledge, particularly while watching the Olympics, that there are women who are stronger and faster than me, okay? But they are not stronger and faster than all men. That... In the main, in the majority, uh, women are physically weaker. And that puts them again in a precarious position. Because if the husband is not getting his way, he could then seek to dominate the wife aggressively, physically, even verbally. And Peter says, not for the Christian husband. Show honor to your wife as the weaker vessel. You understand her frame. You understand who she is emotionally. You understand who she is physically. And you are, not, uh, you are not using her as your doormat. You are not using her to accomplish your will and purpose in her life. That is not God's design for the Christian husband. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Now that would have, again, there's that subversion of the social order. Peter says, yes, there's a difference in role. Husbands, you are to lead. Wives, you are to submit to your husbands. But guess what? Before God, you are on equal footing. You are both heirs of the grace of life. The woman does not relate to Jesus through her husband. She relates directly to Jesus. So you are you are heirs of a you are co-heirs joint heirs together. You have the same worth and value and footing before God. So husbands, given that your wife has the same position before Jesus, is just as valuable to Jesus as you are. You better treat her accordingly. That's what Peter says. She belongs to God in the same way that you do. Therefore, treat her accordingly. She is not yours. She is his. Live accordingly. And then he says something interesting. He says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What's that about? Well, um, this would be an act. We would say this is an act of God's fatherly discipline. Right? That actually our... Husband, your spiritual life with God can be hindered by the way that you treat your wife. In other words, do not expect a vibrant prayer life with God if you are not treating your wife the way that God has commanded you to do so. Your prayers will be hindered, right? That that channel will be all blocked up. Right, because there's a there's a problem in the horizontal that affects the vertical, and so Peter is saying, deal with this, right? Repent uh, and ask for the Holy Spirit's help in dealing with this relationship, so that that channel can be opened back up, so that your prayers uh, again go to God. What do we do with all that? This living hope in the home? How? How do we become these kind of people? And what do we do if we're not those kind of people? What do we do if we failed as husbands and wives, which we all have? Well, I want you to notice, if I could, if I could put it up on the screen, which I can't, uh, I, would, I would love to show you how Peter has structured this. But if you start at verse 11 of chapter 2 and go through the end of 3-7, right? So he gives those commands... And then he says, here's how we talk to government, or here's how we uh, act towards government. Here's how slaves are to act towards masters. He talks about Jesus. Then he talks about wives. Then he talks about husbands. So what sits at the very core of how we are to relate to each other? The words about Jesus, right? So let's go back and let's look at those in chapter 2, verse 21. He says to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, verbally attacked, he did not verbally attack in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued in trusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. What's Peter saying? The same Jesus that saves us. Shows us how to be a wife. Right? Jesus is the ultimate servant. Think about Jesus' life. Who did he submit to? He submitted to his parents. And they weren't sinless. So he did whatever They told him to do, of course, as long as he didn't violate God's law. He obeyed his parents. He submitted to sinful parents. But even more than that, he submitted himself to his father's will. Jesus shows us how to be submissive. Jesus shows us how to to be subject to someone else and follow someone else's direction. He shows us how to walk the path of submission. Even a path that leads to his own death. Because he trusts his father. On the other side, he's also the ultimate leader. Right? He walks the path that he expects us to follow. And he's kind and understanding in how he leads. Jesus is not harsh. He is not mean. He's kind. He's the fulfillment of Isaiah forty two, three, which says, A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. That's Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the kind of leader we want to follow. Jesus is that. And he is the healer of all failed husbands and wives. All stumbling and sinful men and women and boys and girls. By his wounds, you can be healed. And so If you are outside of Jesus today, I would invite you to turn and to trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for directing us, for teaching us, for guiding us. Lord, as we come to the table, we pray that you would also give us keen spiritual sight Lord, I pray that we would receive grace. Uh, We've received it from your word. Now I pray that we would receive it uh, in the bread and the juice. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We invite our officers to come and uh, prepare the table. And while they're doing that, just a few quick words on what we're doing here as we come to the table. Uh, We say that the Lord's Supper is the family meal of Christians. And so we invite all committed followers of Jesus to share in this sacrament, in this meal, those who are baptized, members of a congregation that proclaims the good news and who are at peace with God and their neighbor and who seek strength to live in a deeper communion with Jesus. So that's what we're aiming at here, right? This coming to this table uh, gives us a deeper communion with Jesus. But there's a couple of fences that we need to address the first one is are you a follower of jesus not necessarily a member of grace fellowship it's not our table it's jesus's table and so the first question you need to ask is am i trusting in christ is he my savior am i living uh, in communion with him in repentance and faith but then the second question that goes along with that is am i at peace with my neighbor Uh, Is there strife or disunity that needs to be dealt with, that I need to repent of before I come to the table? Paul gives that warning to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians uh, when he says that if you don't discern the body, uh, then you eat and drink judgment on yourself. Uh, And he's talking about the body of Jesus, but also the church, right? And so this morning, two things. If you are outside of Christ. Uh, if you are not yet a believer in Jesus, if you're still trying to figure out what that relationship looks like, then let the elements pass you by. You don't have to receive uh, the bread and the, the juice. That's okay. Um, just wait. And let's talk about what it means to follow Jesus. But also, if you are uh, in strife, if, if there's something between you and another person that needs to be handled, uh, then also let the elements pass you by this morning. Right? First, repent uh, and heal that relationship with that person, heal that relationship with God, uh, and then you can, you can come to the table. Now, let me read the words uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, that Paul writes to them. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples